Thanks so much for joining us for the New Life Coolangatta podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we exist to simply see more people more like Jesus by planting and leading thriving local churches. In a world that is dominated by narratives of fear, anxiety, and worry, what does it mean that joy is not dependent on outward circumstances, but on the inner state of one's heart? You've joined us in our series, Philippians, where we are exploring what Paul meant when he wrote to have joy in everything and the importance of living in unity among believers for the sake of the gospel. We pray that this message is a blessing. Well, good morning, church. How is everyone this morning? Doing good? I really encourage you. Yeah, put that in your diary. We'd love to see a huge contingent, contingent, contingent? I don't even know if that's a word. Contin- contingent <laughs> of cool and gather there because this is our heart as a church family that we would see more people more like Jesus by planting and leading thriving local churches. And we'd love to see our community there supporting that at our conference. But if I've not met you, my name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life Cool and Gather. And we're in week two of our six-week journey through the book of Philippians. Now, just to give you some context of the book of Philippians, it's a New Testament book. And it's a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi. Now, if you look at this map behind me, you will see down the bottom there in the right-hand corner, that's Jerusalem. That's where the gospel started with Christ dying for us on the cross. And then if we come up through Syria, we come into Asia Minor, which is now modern-day Turkey. And you'll see that there's a few churches there that letters are written to. You've got the Galatians, you've got Colossians, you've got Ephesians. And if you go up to the middle, right at the top, that's Philippi. This is the place where Paul is writing a letter. This is the church where that letter is written to. And that's actually in modern-day Greece now. And then if you look over to the top left, up there is Rome. That's where Paul is actually imprisoned. So they believe that this letter was written around 62 AD, where Paul was imprisoned there in Rome. And we learn that Paul was actually executed only a few years later, around 65 AD. But why was he executed? Because of his faith in and proclamation of Jesus. N.T. Wright, a New Testament scholar, especially on Paul, he says, Paul was killed for his faith in Christ, for his commitment to the gospel, and for his loyalty to the kingdom of God against the kingdoms of this world. You see, Paul was executed because of his Christian beliefs, because he was preaching the gospel, which was seen as a threat to the the Jews and, and to the Romans and to their established religions, but also their social structures. You see, Paul was preaching... Jesus as the Son of God, the Messiah, the King of Kings. And this challenged the beliefs of the Roman Empire and the Roman Emperor himself because he thought he was divine. He thought himself was divine, but Paul was preaching of the God-man, the one who was truly divine, who came in the flesh, this King Jesus that was above everyone. And Paul's willingness to suffer and die for his beliefs has inspired generations of Christians to follow his footsteps and stand firm in the face of persecution and opposition. This letter that's written is a great insight to his time in prison just before his death and how he was actually dealing and feeling with his imprisonment, his imminent death and all the suffering that he was going through. So today we're going to be exploring most of Philippians 1 Chapter, chapter 1, verses 12 to 30. So if you want to go there in your Bibles and follow along, but before we get there, I'd love to pray. So would you please join me in prayer? Father God, I thank you so much, Lord, for people like the Apostle Paul. 
those that have suffered for their faith. Lord, that in through that suffering, he wrote this letter to the Philippians, and it's a letter that we can read and, and take encouragement from. So, Lord, I pray that you would help me preach this message with truth, with grace and with love, and, Lord, in the end, that they wouldn't look to me, they'd only look to you, the one who brings life and life in all its fullness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So before I became a pastor in New Life Church, I was a chaplain, and I was a chaplain with Churches of Christ, and I had two aged care facilities that I was a chaplain in, so I was working full-time with them. And often when you talk to people in aged care, they can feel like they're imprisoned, because a lot of people go there, they get stuck in their room because they're suffering, there's a lot of pain, there's a lot of death, there's a lot of grief. It's not a really nice place sometimes. And people can feel as though they're stuck in this predicament and they don't know how to deal with their pain, their suffering and this, this imminent death that they're about to approach. But I remember this one lady, her name was Margaret, and she was different. Because every time I went into Margaret's room, there was something different about her. She was a Christian and she was suffering horrifically. She was in so much pain. She had breathing tubes. She couldn't go out of her room. She couldn't walk. So she was imprisoned in this room, but she never complained. She was always so thankful for the care that she was receiving. She'd be like, I'm just so amazed at God's faithfulness that, that I'm here to receive the care that I have. But she was in pain, constant pain. But then she wouldn't say anything about that. She'd say, you know what, Scott, even though I'm here and going through pain, there are moments where I just put a hymn on, where I put some worship music on it, and, and I sense the tangible presence of God with me here in this place. And she said to me, you know what? I know I'm getting close to that time, but I can't wait to see my Lord and Savior, to worship at his feet, to be in his presence. You see, this amazing lady had this deep joy in the face of her imprisonment, in the face of her suffering, in the face of her imminent death. It's so funny. I was meant to be the minister, right? I was meant to go into these rooms and minister to them, but every time I walked out of that room, it was like she'd ministered to me. I walked out going, gosh, I hope I'm like that. I hope if I'm in those situations that one day I would have faith like Margaret. You see, joy and happiness, they're, they're two different things. She had a deep-seated joy. You see, happiness is fleeting. It comes and goes through different circumstances. But biblical joy, it's this deep soul feeling. It's not fleeting. It's not based on circumstances. It's based on the truth. It's based on God and his love for you. And this is what I want to focus on today. Because her story and Paul's story is very similar. I want to talk about joy in chains, joy in the face of death, and joy in suffering. The first point, joy in chains. Paul starts in 1.12. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of my brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. You see, Paul is in prison and he wants the Philippians to know that he's okay with his circumstances. Even though he's in such a horrible situation, his heart, even in that situation, is to encourage the church. This is beautiful. Now, can you just imagine if Pastor David was in prison for his faith in Christ, his proclamation of Jesus? We would be freaking out, right? We would be so scared for David. We'd be so worried. We'd be sad and we'd be depressed. We'd be earnestly praying for him. We'd be worried about how he's actually being treated. 
That's just a few things that, that we would be stressing about. And Paul actually knows that Philippians would be worried about him. But instead of complaining about his situation, he writes to them to encourage them in the power of the gospel and faith in God. This is phenomenal. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. He's like, guys, I want you to know something. I know you're stressed, but I want you to know something. Listen to me. Be encouraged. Be thankful. Praise God in this moment. My situation is not hopeless. It's not the end. There is actually hope here. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where it just feels hopeless? Where you think to yourself, nothing good can come from this. What Paul's saying here is that there's never a situation that God can't actually use for the sake of the gospel. And I believe this is one thing God wants to actually impart to us today. That he is sovereign and he can actually use any situation to advance the gospel of Jesus. He says, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. You see, Paul's situation, although bad, is still moving forward God's love into the world. He's like, you guys think my imprisonment and my imminent death has stopped the gospel, that somehow that's going to stop the hand of God, but nothing can stop the gospel in the heart of a Christian that knows God is good. Because someone who knows God knows that the gospel can't be chained and is always looking for ways to advance the message of love, of grace, of forgiveness, whatever situation they find themselves in. Martin Luther says, Paul's attitude towards his imprisonment was a model of faith and hope in Christ. He saw his imprisonment not as a setback, but as an opportunity to proclaim the gospel to those around him. How often are we caught up in our own issues, so much so that we're unaware of what God's actually doing in those situations? How often do we get distracted by our issues and we stop looking for opportunities to advance God's grace in the world? Do you look for opportunities to advance the gospel in all situations or is it just when things are going good? He says, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Paul's like, you know what? I've got so much time here. Guess what's going to happen? The palace guards and everyone else who is in earshot is actually going to hear the gospel of Jesus. I was told earlier between the services that where Paul was, they had to change the guard every few hours because too many of them were getting saved. <laughs> They're just like, don't let anyone near him for longer than a few hours. Because these guys, when they would actually convert to Christianity, that meant big deal for them. Paul's like, I'm going to give it to them. And then I'm going to show them the joy. And that would have been confusing to them, that he would have this joy in the gospel, considering the, the, the conditions he was suffering in. Just like Margaret in that aged care touched me so deeply with her faith and her joy, the guards of Paul and the others around Paul, they would have been shocked that Paul had such a faith and deep-seated joy in the Lord that totally contradicted his situation. You see, Paul took every opportunity, even this horrible situation, to preach the gospel with words and action. And God worked through it. I don't think we understand how powerful this is. I don't think we understand the difference in conditions from today. When people go to prison today, there's human rights, there's all sorts of stuff. They get fed well. It's not like that back then. You did not get treated well. You got treated horribly. The places where they put you were just dirty and seedy and you'd probably get diseases from it. It wouldn't have been comfortable. I doubt there would have been very many happy moments for Paul 
in this moment, but Paul's attitude in suffering was a witness to the power of God to those around him. It was a witness to the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, I remember when I was on the walls, there was this moment where we were working and, and the company came to us and said, we're actually going to give a certain portion of you guys redundancy. We're automating some of the cranes. So some of you guys are not going to have a job. And so this, this fear just went throughout the walls because, you know, you get on the walls, it's high paid, it's a nice job, you stay there till you retire. You know, you don't walk away from that. And so all these guys started freaking out over the next couple of months going, what if I lose a job? What if I do? What do I do? One of the guys said to me, he turned to me, he goes, why are you freaking out? Why don't you care? It's like, it's not that I don't care. I said, I just trust God. He goes, what do you mean? I said, well, I know God loves me. And whether I have this job or I don't, I know he's going to look after me. I know he's going to look after my family. I might have to go work in Bunnings or some other job, but that's okay. I just trust that he's got me, whatever happens. And he just looked at me with this weird look because he doesn't understand or know who God is. John MacArthur says, The joy of Paul in the midst of his affliction is remarkable. He rejoiced not because he was suffering, but because his suffering was advancing the gospel. Paul's not a weirdo going, Oh, I love suffering. Like, beat me a little bit more. That's great. It's not that. He's not, he doesn't have joy in that, but he has joy that the fact that nothing can actually stop the gospel. Paul was so transformed by the love of God that he couldn't help love his captives and give them the gospel. I probably would have been happy that they were unsaved. And that God would judge him at some stage by the way they treated me. But that's not Paul. He knew that God was at work even in his dire situation. Do you know that today? If you feel like you're imprisoned by something in your life, know this. That God is still at work in this very moment. And he still actually wants to work through you. And Jesus himself, he tells us this in John 16. He says, These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Jesus warns his disciples, guess what? You're going to suffer. There's going to be hardship. You're going to go through tribulations, but be of good cheer. Have a deep-seated joy in you. Why? What is that source of joy? Because Jesus has overcome the world. That we are in him. This is not the end. He has won the victory for us. Charles Hodge says, Paul's imprisonment was not a defeat for him, but a victory for Christ. The gospel was being preached, and that was all that mattered to him. No matter where he found himself, or how he was suffering, all that mattered to him was Christ was made known. In verse 14, he says, And because of my chains, most of my brothers and sisters have been, become confident in the Lord, and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. You see, Paul's faith and joy in the gospel in chains actually encouraged the church to proclaim the gospel without fear. And God wants to encourage us today through Paul's example. In all circumstances, look for what God is doing. Look for opportunities to advance the gospel. Which brings me on to the second point, joy in death. In verse 18, he says, Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope I will no, by no means be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. For if I'm going to live on the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet I shall, what I shall choose, I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is by far better 
But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know. I will remain. I'll continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. You see, Paul is facing death head on. And again, he's not whinging about that. He's encouraging the church not to fear death. In fact, he knows it's far better, far better to be with the Lord than here on earth, suffering the pain that he's suffering. Douglas Moo says, Paul's willingness to die for Christ was not based on a desire for martyrdom, but on a deep love for Christ and desire to be with him. Again, Paul's not like, I want to die. He's just like, no, no, no. But if I do die, it's okay because I will be with my Lord. You know, I, I kind of have these feelings sometimes. When I look out at the world and I look at the destruction going on around the world, I look at wars, I look at massacres in, this, in the States, I look at what we're doing to one another as human beings, and there's moments where I just go, Lord Jesus, come back. Like, come back now. We are messed up. We, we desperately need you to come back and restore all things. But then there's something in my heart that goes, but Scott, there's so many people that haven't heard the gospel. There's so many people that, that need to come to know him. There's times in my life where I'm just struggling in my life and I'm like, Lord, I just can't wait for the day where you deal with my sin, where my sin is gone, where I stand in your presence and I fall down at your feet. There's something in me that just can't wait for that day. I'm not looking to die, but deep in my soul, I look forward to seeing Jesus face to face and worshiping him. Does death terrify you? Jesus says in Matthew 10, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus says, don't be afraid of anyone that can just kill you. If you're in me, they can't kill you anyway. Be afraid of the Lord. Have a fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is beginning of all wisdom. You see, Paul's not afraid to die for the faith. He thought it would be better to be with the Lord. Why? Because he believed in Jesus' promise of eternal life. Do you believe that promise today? Jesus says in John 14, do not, let your, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Here is a promise from Jesus that, that he is gone to prepare a place for each and every person that is in Christ. And Paul's so keen on this day that he would rather spend eternity in God's presence. He just can't wait for that day. Charles Hodge says, Paul's focus on Christ gave him the courage to face suffering and death with joy and confidence. He knew that in Christ he had everything he needed. Everything he needed to have joy in the face of death. But here's the thing, Paul also knew he had a mission an important mission, and he was actually willing to continue to suffer for that mission. He says in verse 21, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm going to go on to live in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Paul's like, you know what? I have a joy inexpressible because it's a win-win situation for me. If I stay here, I get to serve the King of kings, the Lord of lords. I get to suffer for his sake and your sake. But if I don't, if I die, I'll be in his presence. Is that how you see life and death? Life with a kingdom purpose and death as this reward? You know, are we willing to lay down some of our comforts in life uh, to actually advance the gospel? Are we as followers of Jesus willing to sacrifice some of our lives for the spreading 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ that people may come to know him. Matthew 16, Jesus says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. What's he talking about? He's saying, hey, if you want to follow me, there is going to be times where you have to deny yourself. You have to deny comfort. You have to deny the things and desires that you want. And you need to take up the cross, which means there is an element of suffering for the gospel. But it's okay because we follow Jesus. He took up the cross for us. And Paul's willing to stay in this current state of imprisonment to suffer, to be a blessing to the church and to encourage Christians that they would bear fruit for eternity. You see, Paul's attitude towards life and death was shaped by his faith in Christ. He saw his life as a mission and his death as the ultimate reward for faithful service. You see, this was part of Paul's joy. He had a purpose in this life. He says, I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. This is Paul's heart. He wants to see them progress. He wants to see them grow in the faith. But also, not only in the faith, in what? In joy. Paul's heart was their spiritual growth. Which leads me on to the third point. Joy in suffering. He says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. He's like, look at me for an example. Whatever happens in life, whether things are great, whether things are bad, whether things are horrific... Whatever happens, conduct yourselves. What does that mean? It says live out your faith in a manner worthy of the gospel, in a manner worthy of what's been given to you freely. Paul is calling the Philippians and us to live lives that reflect the teachings and the values of the gospel. That means following Christ's example of love, humility, self-sacrifice, striving for a life that's pleasing to God. John MacArthur says, Paul's exhortation to live a life worthy of the gospel is a call to live in a way that reflects the love, grace, and truth of Christ. You see, Paul is urging the Philippians to live in such a way that others are drawn to the gospel, in a way that they see the transformative power of the gospel. This means living a life of integrity, of compassion, of generosity that reflects the beauty and the wonder of who God is, even when we're facing imprisonment, suffering, and death. Does your life reflect the gospel today? Because we need to understand we reflect something. Each and every one of us reflects something. And we're either reflecting the kingdom of God or we're not. We're either reflecting disbelief in God, lack of trust in God when we're complaining or we're not trusting in what God's doing in moments or we're reflecting sin of greed, of selfishness, of pride when we're putting others down. We're either reflecting the kingdom of God or the kingdom of Satan. And the greatest issue for the church is, is now is comfort. We reflect comfort. The Western church has been seduced by comfort. We've forgotten the gospel is a call to sacrificial discipleship. We're so comfortable in Australia, right? Like we have it pretty good. Just walk out those doors. Therefore, we've settled for this shallow consumeristic version of, of Christianity that's more concerned with our own comfort, our own happiness, our own desires... And our lives actually end up reflecting that. But here's the thing. Everyone in prison, everyone around Paul knew he was a Christian because he reflected the gospel. Do you reflect Christ or the world? And Paul's encouraging the Philippians, and I believe us today, to actually live out our belief, what we profess. It says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. 
It's like, hey, whether I'm released and I come and see you or I stay here in prison, my hope, my heart is that you will stand firm in the faith. Paul's actually imploring them to trust in the power of the gospel message. Don't think that Paul's suffering here or his circumstances are because you know, God's left him or he doesn't love him. God's actually empowering Paul, strengthening him to endure this with a joy that's, that's only found in Christ. So if you're suffering at the moment, and I know there are people here that are going through horrific things, and I don't want to downplay that. I understand that life can be hard. But if you're suffering, it doesn't mean that God's abandoned you or that God doesn't love you. Take Paul's encouragement here to stand firm in the faith. And he says, stand firm together in one spirit. Stand on the truth of the word of God in the Holy Spirit, all together as one. He says, striving together. He's talking about community here, the importance of community, the gathered church together. What we do today is super important. We come to support one another, to lift each other up, to stir each other up in faith and obedience. Are you trying to do this Christian life alone? Or are you gathering faith-filled Christians around you to encourage you, to love you, to guide you in your faith? You know, this has been really important in my transformation, in my walk with Jesus. There are people in this room, that are sitting in this room that support me, that guide me, that help me through life's struggles, through life's challenges, that lift me up when I'm feeling down, that are there to support me and love me and encourage me to continue in the gospel when things are tough. You know, I need Christians in my life. I, I can't do this alone. And you can't either. And that's why Jesus filled the church with his Holy Spirit, for us to come together in one spirit, to strive for the faith and the spreading of the gospel together. He says in verse 28, Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but to you, that you will be saved, and that by God. Paul here just says, Don't fear opposition. You know, we're, we are opposed more and more in this current age, right? Like we're attacked for our moral position on so many issues now. And Christians feel like they need to, to compromise and agree with culture to reach the lost. No. We need to stand on the truth because it's the truth that actually sets people free. And Paul's encouraging us, don't fear opposition. Don't be conformed to the ways of the world. He says, Jesus says in John 15, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember that I told you a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will persecute you also. Jesus understands that things aren't going to be awesome. He's like, they hated me. Guess what? They're going to hate you too. Suffering for your faith is actually a sign that you are saved. And our culture's ongoing reject rejection of God's law into deeper and deeper sin is evidence that humanity is sinful and in desperate need of a saviour. And we have the answer. It's evidence that we're saved because we desire human flourishing. And we're imploring the world to actually turn away from sin that's destroying society, it's destroying cultures, it's destroying relationships, it's destroying individuals. And Paul's encouraging the Philippians and us to stand firm on God's word, not compromise our moral beliefs because culture now says that certain sins are okay and we're bigots if we don't agree with them. What they're doing is sin and it's actually destructive. Will we suffer for standing firm on God's word? Yes, we will. Jesus even tells us. Douglas Moo says, Suffering for Christ is not something to be feared, 
but something to be embraced. It's an opportunity to grow in faith and to experience the power of Christ's resurrection. Who can say an amen that when we suffer, that's where we see God's power at work the most? Paul knew that persecution he was facing was due to the fact that that was his message, that we were all sinners, each and every one of us, in desperate need of a saviour. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecute the prophets who were before you. You want to be blessed? Jesus says here, you're blessed if you're persecuted. You're blessed if you suffer. Why? Because of righteousness, for standing on the firm foundation of who Jesus is, for proclaiming Jesus. If you suffer for me, you are blessed. He says, rejoice and be glad. Have this inner joy. It's not this happiness in situations. You rejoice inside. Why? Because you have a reward in heaven. And this is what Paul fully understood, but also believed deep in his heart. And this is why he had joy in chains, joy in death, and joy in suffering. Does the band want to come up? Paul then finishes with, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Paul's writing to me, he just says to them, I want to encourage you in the faith. I know you're suffering persecution, just, just like me. He has this, this pastoral heart for the Philippians. He's, he's bringing to mind all the people that he knows in that congregation, that he loves, that he hears about their suffering. He's like, I understand your suffering. You're suffering like I am, but it's okay. His pastoral heart is to see them encouraged and loved. And that's the heart of this message for us today. You might be here today in in fear of change. Something might be chaining you. Or you might be in fear of death, not knowing what happens after we die. Or you might be fearing suffering. I'm here to tell you there is an answer to all of these. And the answer is Jesus. You see, Jesus wants to set you free of all of them through the power of the gospel and the power of his Holy Spirit. You can actually have a life that no matter what Satan or circumstances throw at you, you'll have a deep-seated joy that's actually foundation is in the trust and hope in God, and that's what will actually carry you through. How? Through repentance and faith in Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the whole reason why Jesus came why he took on human flesh. We don't worship a God that doesn't know what it's like to suffer, to be rejected, to face death. Jesus came in the flesh to absorb our sin. And when he went to the cross, he dealt with the sin, the problem of death for each and every one of those who put their faith and trust in him. And when he rose again on the third day, he rose again in victory over sin and death. And all we need to do is put our faith and trust in him and we receive that blessing. We receive the power of the Holy Spirit. So what does this text teach us today? Well, Paul's encouraging the church and us that you actually can't chain the gospel. There's nothing that can happen to us that can actually stop the gospel, that death is not to be feared, but it is a reward for Christians, that we all actually have a kingdom purpose in life. That's why we desire to live on in this suffering, to bring more people to know Jesus. We, we learn here that, that suffering is real, but it actually transforms us more into the likeness of Jesus who actually suffered for us. And in all circumstances, we can have a deep-seated joy grounded in the love of God and the power of the gospel.
Paul says in one, uh, Romans 1 verse 16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Paul's imploring you and me, live a life worthy of the gospel that you've been freely given. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, we just thank you for these, these people in history, not only Paul, but many, many others that have suffered for your namesake. Lord, we thank you that there is nothing that can stop your message of love and mercy and grace are going out in the world. And Lord, I pray that you would use each and every one of us in all circumstances, that you would fill us with such a deep-seated joy that would just happen to come out in everything we do and everything we say, that people may turn turn to you and give you glory. And Lord, I know that there are people here today that, that are suffering horrifically and, and find this message hard. Lord, I pray that you would just bless them. Lord, would you strengthen them? Lord, would you open their eyes to see that you are at work, even in the midst of it? That, Lord, in the end, they would look back one day and just see your hand all over it. And may you work through them by the power of your Holy Spirit. And you might be sitting here, and these are the things that you fear. And I'm here to tell you that, that Jesus came to die for your sins, that you would not fear death anymore, that he wants to empower you to live this life. So if you've never received Christ, if you've never put your faith and trust in Him, God's here today and He wants to extend that to you. So if that is you, as we all have our heads bowed, would you just put your hand up now? I'd love to pray for you. Thank you. Lord, I just thank you for that hand that went up. I pray that you would just bless them with your grace and with your mercy, with your love. Lord, we thank you that when we repent of our sin and put our faith and trust in you, you promise to give us eternal life. You promise to give, you, give us your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, I just pray in this moment, as they repent in their heart and turn to you, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just come upon them right now, that they would be born again to a new life in you, that they would feel your presence and your peace and your power to walk this life to give you glory. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Thanks again for listening to the New Life Podcast. If that stirred something within you or you would like prayer, you can head to church.nu forward slash prayer or contact us through our Instagram or Facebook page. 